Galatians. If you're joining us online tonight through our Facebook Live uh, a webcast, we just welcome you once again here. God's doing some tremendous things. I assume you guys heard the uh, the testimony uh, through uh, your intern's feed about Waylon. Waylon made it safely to Tennessee. Uh, some of you guys know a number of years ago after Hurricane Katrina, uh, uh, actually during Hurricane Katrina, Waylon had lost his daughter and uh, his wife during the storm. Several years passed, and Kelsey and I actually got to minister to him on the streets, on Bourbon Street one night. And he was very resistant to what we had to say. But years later, uh, he came back and said, thank you guys so much just for your investment. It, it really done something to me, even though it's far off. Anyway, he's had some struggles recently. We told him, listen, we want to help you uh, get somewhere. And so uh, uh, the other day, uh, the team rounded him up and talked to him, and he was willing to do that. So we put him on a bus uh, a couple, three days ago, I guess it was. And, he made his way to Tennessee, and he's there with MBM Ministries, Pastor William and those folks, and uh, he just sent word. He said, listen, and, and he mentioned uh, Emerson and, and Andrea and, and Roy by name. He said, please tell them to keep in contact with me. He said, that's just that's the only family I have left. So I told him we should do that. But y'all just keep uh, uh, Brother Wayland in your prayers as well. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, which is always a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths, Lord God. Father, we just ask you, Lord God, tonight in this place, Lord God, that the spirit of wisdom and understanding would rest upon us, Lord God. Father, we want to we want to know what you desire for us to know, Lord God. Father, we thank you that your word tells us, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit has come to lead and guide us into all truth. Lord God, that's what our desire is. We want to know you to make you known. And so, Father, anything, Lord God, that would stand in its way, presuppositions, fears, whatever it may be, Lord God, we just cast those things down. Lord God, we want you to reveal yourself to us through your word. So, Father, anoint our hearing today, Lord God. Just make our, our eyes and our ears wide open, Lord God, just to be a reservoir, Lord God, of your word. We want to hide your word in our hearts so that we will not sin against you like David said, Lord God. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord God, that you just uh, uh, anoint my, uh, my, my conversation today, Lord God, even this teaching. Lord God, use my frailty, Lord God, and my limitations, Lord God, to speak life. Lord God, in the hearts and lives today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Um, you remember, guys, last week, uh, some of you don't because you were obviously not here because you're visiting tonight, some of you checking in online. Uh, we've been, uh, we dealt with Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses primarily 15 through 21. Tonight, I'm going to go out on a limb. Can I get a drum roll, please? We're going we're gonna to try to finish chapter 3. Some of y'all are saying, which means... Absolutely nothing, but we're going to try. It's not a preface by saying that. Uh, but you remember last week we, we began dealing with uh, Galatians three fifteen through twenty one, which really addressed the purpose of the law of Moses. That really it kind of served uh, somewhat like a placekeeper is kind of the word I like to use of, of the covenant that God had made with Abraham until it was ratified through the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in verse twenty two of chapter three, and we're going to really continue kind of to examine the fact that. All the law could even hope to accomplish was really just to, to maintain people under covenant until reconciliation could actually come uh, become a reality uh, to mankind. And so Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, and it says this. It says, The Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, for we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. That's so good, i got to read it again. The Scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Folks, I, I, I stop and take pause there when I, when I read that because it's so powerful and so revealing that, that there's a couple things that I want to I point out before we move forward. You know, I say this all the time. I say, man, this is so much good stuff in this verse. And it, and it almost comes ad nauseum to me because I, I almost say that about every third or fourth verse. But you'll find there's just certain things that you may have read hundreds of times if, you, if you've read the Bible through uh, uh, pretty consistently over the over your walk. And sometimes things just kind of pop out at you like, man, it's been there all the time. And just by the Holy Spirit, he just provides kind of a hidden gem in that fist. You know, the, I'm reading from the NLT, if you wonder what translation I'm, I'm reading from tonight. And, and it, it, but it uses a phrase, the scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin, which, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of what it's talking about in the context. And so it makes sense to me when I, when I hear that. The scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin. But what this seems to do is place the scriptures of the word of God in a place of simply reporting or declaring that we're prisoners apart from Jesus Christ. That's what it kind of seems like. The scriptures 
declare that we're prisoners of sin. So it's just kind of providing a commentary on that. As though someone else imprisoned us and that the word merely is just making it known. So if I just read that, in other translations are the same way as well. If you read it, it just seems like the word is just telling you that you're a prisoner of sin. But the literal translation, it's something about jumping out at me. The literal translation of this verse should read, The scripture imprisoned everything under sin. The scripture itself imprisoned everything under sin. You may say to yourself, man, that seems like a couple of different things. Well, if I read it to begin with in the context, I knew exactly what it's talking about. It declared. And so I know what a declaration is and, and all those things within the context of how he had to address this Galatian church that it really began to depart from the faith. These guys that had, had, had adopted another gospel, which he told us in that first chapter, it was not a gospel at all. And all of these things, if, if, if I preach it, he said, or if an angel of heaven preach it, uh, any other gospel than what you've received from us, what do you say? Let them be accursed. And so I understand contextually, because obviously we've been in this, 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 this epistle for how long? Almost a year. So we don't get too big of a hurry around here. But, and so when I'm reading, I know that. But literally what it says is the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. And as I think about it, I'll give you a little bit of my personal commentary on this. And really the reason I think that this is so powerful and revealing is because it puts everything within its proper context. When you think about what the Word did, the Scripture imprisoned everything. When, when most people think about people being slaves to sin, they think of it in the text of being slaves to Satan. Because if you think of somebody that's a slave to sin, who do you think they're a slave to? You automatically think that they're a slave to the adversary, which is not exactly the truth. Okay, And I'm going to make that clear to you tonight. Because everything, including hell itself, are under the authority of God. Right? He is, we use that term, sovereign. And what does the word sovereign mean? He is all-powerful. So if he's all-powerful and if God is sovereign, that means everything has come under the authority of God. And so God can call the shots at any time he wants. God has that type of power. And so we know that God is sovereign. Everything is, is, is under him or under God's authority or God's word in a sense. So that is, there is nothing that operates or exists apart from his divine order of things. Okay? And so hell was not created by the devil and the demons. It was created for the devil and demons by God as a place of, of, of eventual punishment for them. And so a lot of times people think of, and again we've talked about out of 2 Timothy, about the men will depart from the, the truth, they'll give heed to seducing spirits and, and doctrines of the devil in 1 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, it says that they'll, give, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll turn their ears towards fables and all these things. So when people think of things in this uh, relationship, they're usually thinking about that 15th century Dante's Inferno, that you got the God of heaven, that you got this God of the underworld. And Satan somehow has got this place. We hear people on the streets as we minister, you know what, hell Satan. Well, they're never going to hell Satan. You know that? When people go to hell, they're never going to rejoice and worship Satan. It's not going to happen. What it's going to be, it's going to be outer darkness. There's going to be wailing. There's going to be gnashing of teeth. There's going to be utter despair. There's not some party that's awaiting them in hell, and everybody's going to get naked, and everybody's going to grab them a blunt, and everybody's going to have... That's what, not what hell is. Hell is an eternal separation from God. It is punishment. The devil is going to be in the same predicament that everyone else is. And so when we look at things like this, we've got to understand that the Scriptures declares that we're all prisoners of sin. Not because the devil came up with an idea and he said, listen, I'm going to trick you and I'm going to hold you in bondage for eternity. No, he don't, he don't have that type of authority. He's going to find himself in the exact same situation. Colossians 1.16 says this. It says, for in him, him being the word made flesh, or Jesus obviously, it says all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, things that are visible, Things that are invisible, whether they be thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Okay? All things. There is nothing outside the realm of that proclamation that whether there are any type of authority, any type of declaration, all of those things were created through Him and for Him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus says this, speaking to John the Reveler, He said, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And he said, I am the one that has the keys of hell and of death. And so the declaration that he made was, I'm the one that has the authority. I'm the one that brings life. 
I'm the one that brings death. I'm the one that brings judgment. And I'm the one that brings mercy. So all of those things are within his power. So I'm the one that both punishes and imprisons. And I'm the one who forgives and sets free. Isn't it good to know that he's that one, right? That you don't have to worry about a stacked court or going into the ninth circuit, or, or whether you're in this situation or whatever else. The one that sits upon the throne is called faithful and just, and he's the one that meets out reward, and he's the one that meets out punishment. I don't have to worry about something being tilted against me uh, based upon somebody else's is ideas or presuppositions. I know that there's one that's called faithful and true, and I'm going to stand before it. So all, this, this is all very essential before we start, because what happens is we, we end up yielding all this power and authority over to the adversary who just does not have it. Folks, I've told stories uh, many times. Some of you guys have, have had, the, had the privilege or had, the, had the, uh, the pain of having to hear some of them in my early days in, in ministry. You know, here we are. We were preaching and, and pastoring in, a, in an inner city church. And, and if you want to know some of them, just talk to Pastor John Beth. They're the product of, of some of that, that early stuff that we went through uh, starting about 26 or so years ago. But we lived in an environment that was real-life ministry. It really is. And I think to myself, you know what? If you can survive some of the things that we endured early on, you can really survive anything. You know, people go to, go to watch horror movies, and they see all this, these demons and things. Well, we had to live that stuff. And so that stuff never appealed to me. Hollywood's renditions of people in bondage. Why? Because that's very real to me. That isn't something that you go and pay $11 and get a bucket of popcorn, and you go and get entertained by it. If you've seen people bound and possessed by devils, you're not going to go buy a ticket to go watch somebody uh, masquerading of that on, on television. So we really had that type of things happening. We saw bona fide people that, just like you read in the New Testament, that would come into our churches, that had opened themselves up through that pharmacia, through sorcery, and had given their hearts and minds over. And, and, and things that, I, I tell you straight, like, really, that happened? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm not going to give any glory to the devil telling you all the things that he did. But early on, as a, as a young person, and just trying to uh, uh, kind of walk my way through it, you know what, I, I probably gave a little too much leash to the adversary. You know, yeah, there were people that spoke in guttural voices. There were things that would happen that were supernatural, and, and the things that the enemy would do that were, uh, now that I look back as a 50-year-old guy, but looking back at it as, as an early 20s uh, pastor in this inner city church, you know, they were probably entertaining. People came, they wanted to see, man, what's going to happen next? You know, what's the next demon-possessed person that's going to come into the church? Some of you guys are saying, man, I'd never go to that church. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you give place to that because you think that there's certain things that you've got to do because what you've heard or what the depiction is through pop culture. But the Lord finally spoke to me and said, why are you putting up with that stuff? Do you not know that I triumphed over those things in the cross 2,000 years ago? And all those things are doing demonic powers, very real things. How many of you know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against what? Principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual wickedness in high places. So when Jesus said, he didn't say, but one day soon in 2017, when everybody gets civilized, you're no longer going to wrestle against those things anymore. You know the thing that, 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 that would cause you to think thoughts and do things that you never wanted to do? Folks, that in your buddy whispering in your ear, that's a demonic power and principality that, that wants to subvert the will of God in your life. So very real things. But the Lord said, why on earth are you going to put up with that stuff? Don't you know that I defeated that stuff at the cross of Calvary? Now all they have is suggestion and deception and all these other things. Just call that stuff down. And so I began to just call that stuff down. And I don't need to know the devil's name. I don't need to hear him growl at me and all these other things. That the, the adversary is shrewd enough to pick up on and say, hey, listen, if that entertains them, if that gets them away from the power of the blood of Jesus, I'll do it. So I didn't have to walk in that stuff. But folks, listen, all power has been given to Jesus. And so when we begin to yield authority over the adversary, the only power he has is that which we give to him. And so he does not inherently possess anything because he was cast out of heaven. And so essentially, it reveals that God is the one that calls all the shots even the consequences of sin. The enemy doesn't determine somebody's punishment for sin. God has determined the consequences of sin. And so when we read the Roman letter that the wage of sin is death, you know who came up with that? God came up with that. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. He tells them, he says, listen, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to give you authority over these things. 
He said, you, you have authority, you have dominion. He said, but there's one thing that you cannot do. Do not eat from the tree that's in the midst of the, of the, of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you do that, in the day that you transgress my righteousness, in the day that you sin, what will happen? You'll die. Now, he didn't mean they were going to grab their hearts and fall on the ground or grab their heads and, have, and, and pass away from an aneurysm or some other type of thing. He said, you're going to die spiritually. He's the one that gave the consequences to it then. And you know what? He's the one that calls those shots and declares the consequences of sin. Now, we have got to remember that. And when you say the devil made me do it or the devil's punishing me, folks, i got news for you. He's not the judge. He is the deceiver and the accuser of the brethren who wants to push you away from the grace and mercy of God and bring you underneath the judgment of God. So when I read these, it's, it's, it's essential that we know that God is the one that's calling the shots. And if he's calling the shots, that's who I want to get in agreement with. I want to get in agreement with God. Probably one of the great revelations, if you call it, was so simplistic to me early on in my life. It was this. That God is on the throne... And he's not going to scoot over for anyone. Period. I've known that for 32 years since I've been born again. That God is on the throne. And it doesn't matter if I like it or not. There's not going to come a recount. There's not going to become an impeachment. That God is on the throne. And I could either like it or I could lump it and suffer the consequences. Look, that's done for me. It's made it very easy for me to serve God. That way when something goes bad or doesn't go the way, I'm not finding myself shaking my fist in heaven. Ask my wife. She's known me since we were 50 years old. She's known me since we were 16. We've been married going on 31 years. Ask her any time I've ever, ever one time, if you want to challenge what I'm saying, she's right there. If you know her, you know that she's honest and she's not going to pull any punches. Have you ever known or heard me to shake my hand and blame God and say, why on earth would God put me through that? Never. You know why? Because God is God, period. And if he's sovereign, and if he loved me enough to come down in the form of sinful flesh and die for me, whatever I'm going through, there's got to be something in it that God's working out. I'm confident of that. And so any power that resides out there, any declaration that the scriptures make about being a prisoner of sin, I know it comes from that source. All these other things are things that God is utilizing and using and, and working all these things together for my good. Because I love him, and I am the called according to his purpose. So the scripture declares that we're all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only, only, how? Only by believing in Jesus Christ. And so the word declares the punishment, but the word also declares the pardon. Folks, isn't that the tremendous balance in the word of God? That the word of God isn't just a, just a love wins. Folks, love wins. But love also loses. You hear me? Love forgives, but love also judges. Period. We can't just have this out of balance type of mentality about a God. Because the God of love, in order to be God, the God of love, He has got to be a God of justice. Period. Because we will never love like He loves until we love what He loves. He loves holiness. He loves righteousness. And we can turn to Proverbs chapter 6, and I won't do that tonight just for time's sake. But we also know that there's things that He hates. You know what I'm saying? He hates lying lips. He hates that 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 the feet are swift to mischief. He hates those that that, that that shed innocent blood. He hates people that that are sowing seeds of discord among the brethren. The God of love also is a God that hates sin. He hates those things that would separate people from His righteousness, separate people from His plan for their life. And so this is that God that is the Word that speaks punishment, but He also speaks pardon for those who would call upon His name. But notice what He said. He said, God's promises of freedom only come by believing in Jesus Christ. So the only way that we receive God's promise of freedom from sin or we receive salvation is by believing on Jesus Christ. How do we receive it? Only by believing on Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again just for effect. How do we receive it? Only by believing on Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. Sometimes we need to get that in our head and in our heart. Especially you folks that, that, that go and do mission work or evangelism. Sometimes it's, it's easy to kind of digress and think to yourself, but man, but that person is so nice. Surely God is a liar. 
Surely God didn't know what he was talking about. Surely God has changed things and he's adjusted culturally. Surely God didn't have the foresight. Surely God didn't read the memo that I had. And he's not really the only way. Maybe he was the only way uh, uh, two or 4,000 years ago. But surely God has adjusted to the culture, adjusted to the darkness. Folks, the word says that God is not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he should repent. We know from Malachi, Old Covenant, that he says that I am the Lord God and I do not change. We knew New Testament that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and he's going to be the same forevermore. But Jesus Christ is still the only way. I don't care how many coexist t-shirts or bumper stickers are out there. Jesus Christ is the only way. Not Jesus Christ is just one way or it's just your way or it's just your path to God. But Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, is the only way that we can have freedom is through believing upon Him. Folks, you know what? It wasn't popular when that Word was written 2,000 years ago. I got news for you. It's less popular now. It's less popular now to say that i got news for you. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how often you hum or fold your legs and meditate. I don't care how much you give to charity. I don't care how religious you are. Jesus Christ is still the only way. I don't care if you've been marooned on a desert island. Jesus Christ and believing on Him is still the only way. I don't care how your mama raised you or the, 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 un, uh, uh, the unfortunate circumstance that you came into. She, believing on Jesus Christ is still the only way. You know why it's the only way? Because he said it's a narrow way that leads to life and very few there be that even find it. And even fewer are going to be that enter it after they found it. Why? Because they'll sit down and they'll count at the cost. And when he says, listen, here's the narrow way. Now let me tell you how you get in. First you deny yourself. Mm, I don't know about that. Then you take up your cross. Ooh, I really don't know about that. Then you've got to follow or imitate me. But folks, what we've done is we've made it a different way. We've said, listen, all you've got to do is back God into the proverbial corner by repeating some quick Christian mantra. That all you've got to do is, is skip chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and, and half a 10 in the book of Romans, and just pray this real prayer. Forget all those other things that qualify you, confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead and being saved. Forget all those other things that lead up to the qualification of being able to make that statement, and just say that, and ha-ha! Man, you've tricked God. Now you've rubber-stamped yourself into the kingdom and you've got him on a technicality and you've found a loophole into walking in righteousness and actually believing. And what you've done is you've nullified the declarations and the sovereignty of God. Why? Because you found an abracadabra or you found that super passkey into the kingdom that somehow circumvents everything God has seen. Folks, that's what a modern evangelism has done. Oh, just come up here, let me, let me get you to respond by playing the right music that creates the right ambiance and, and getting you to say the right things and repeat the right prayer. And you walk headlong into the same hellish life and existence that you did before, and we're going to call that mess saved? Really? We're going to call that saved? Folks, 25 years ago in prayer, the Lord spoke to me, and He said, you need to stop telling people they're saved. He said the spirit itself will bear witness with their spirit that they're a child of God. Your job is to tell them how to get saved and what it looks like. And I will confirm it in their hearts that they're actually saved. Folks, you know how I found out that I was saved? I didn't want to do the things that I used to want to do. I actually lived a life that looked saved. I actually was a new person and had a new life in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I didn't buy, buy down some, some budget version of the gospel. I wasn't sold some pig and a poke thing that says, listen, we got it on special today, and you don't really have to do everything everyone else does. It's budget Jesus. Now, I got preached a hardcore word that had a hardcore transformational experience. And he said, I'm able to keep those things that you commit to me. And when I commit it to him, it looks like what's described in the word of God. John 14, 16, you know it, maybe not the address, but you know what it says. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one, not one, not your good buddy that was pretty sweet, not that person down the street that, 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 that may not have served Jesus, but they were good to everyone. No one comes unto the Father but by me. John 10, 1 through 3, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall 
of the sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, because the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Not by good works, not by attending church, not by the right membership or following the right preacher or leader, and certainly not in the Galatian letter through the law. Not any of those things. The Word declares the wage or the consequence of sin, that it's death, and the Word declares that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that in heaven the gavel hits the counter. That's the declaration of heaven. Not the declaration of the devil, not the declaration of religion, not the de declaration of those that might have had their feelings hurt, or the wide gate, but the declaration of the great I am, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Now these next two verses that we're looking at in Galatians 3 make it so, so clear. Verse 23, it says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. I'll read verse 24. Let me put it another way, he says. The law was our guardian until Christ came and protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Folks, you know what that was? It's something I like to call Old Covenant grace or the unmerited favor of God. You ask most New Covenant people to put their faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary. Ask them a definition of grace. You know what they're going to do? They're going to forget the cross. They're going to forget Jesus is not just the Son of God and the Son of Man. They're going to forget that he was the second Adam that came. They're going to forget that through one man's sacrifice that many were going to be righteous. They're going to dive all the way back into that right there, just what it would be described as under the law, just the unmerited favor of God. Folks, we talked much about Abraham and the covenant and the promise God made with him. You know why God called Abraham? Was it because he was doing a bunch of neat things and he had it all together? No, he didn't do anything to deserve it. He was out... It, 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 part of you're the Chaldees I've been in that part of the world it was just a bunch of pagans, it was everybody else but God spoke and he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness not that he was doing a bunch of great religious things but God spoke and he believed and because he believed or he had faith then it was accounted unto him for righteousness he didn't do anything to deserve it Folks, listen, that's what the law was. The law was unmerited. That's why every single year on the Day of Atonement, they had to kill something else. They had to sprinkle some more blood upon the mercy seat. They had to do it. Why? Because the next year it came back around, and it never did away with sin. It just covered it up. That's why men were never changed. Men were just put on restriction. Men were just put under the guardianship under the law. It was unmerited, unpaid for. It had no value. That's what the lack of merit means. If you get a promotion and somebody says, well, that wasn't merited, that means you weren't even doing your job. That means you didn't do anything to deserve it, that, that somebody else probably deserved it. But folks, something happened 2,000 years ago, and we just celebrated this past week, the death, burial, and the resurrection. Jesus came down who had the value. He was the lamb that would be slain before the foundations of the world. He was that one that was able to take up the scroll. He was that one that was able to stand in the gap, as Ezekiel said, and take up the scroll, as John the Revelator said. He was that one that was sinless and blameless, that the Word says that we have not a high priest who cannot be touched, by the feelings of our infirmities, and always tempted just like we are, but without sin. He was that one. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He had value, and there was merit to what he did upon the cross of Calvary, hanging between two thieves, not just as God, but as that second Adam, as that man that stood in the gap and took back that place and that authority and bore our sicknesses, our sorrows, and all of those things upon his own life. Now there's value. Now something changes. Grace changes from that which is unmerited to something that has value. And even the word change, charis in the Greek, it's the divine influence of God upon the heart and it's a reflection in their life. Folks, it wouldn't have meant anything if Jesus was just some guy just like a thief. I had somebody tell me the other day, I'll tell you who it was, it was my, it was my son who's totally backslidden. He comes by the other day and, and you guys don't know me, I Listen, I don't pull any punches whether they got my last name or not. He's backslidden, so he's justifying his sin. And, and I'm talking to him and giving him the message of the cross, just like I would give anybody else. 
And he said, well, other people died that day too. And he knows better than this. This is just sin and rebellion in his heart. He said, there was other people that died on that hill too. I said, yeah, there was other people that died other days. But there was only one that was innocent. I said, even the thieves said, listen, what we're getting, we deserve. But this man has done absolutely nothing. Folks, that's where the value is. The value isn't somebody paying a bill that they owe. The value isn't somebody paying a bill that they did not even come close to owing. Somebody taking the heat, somebody taking the responsibility, somebody bearing the, 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 the consequence and the declaration of sin upon themselves when they are absolutely innocent. Folks, listen, that's what's influential. You hear me? And so grace become that influence of God by allowing Himself to come down and people to dwell among Him by inscribing us on the palms of His hand, by demonstrating His glory, His great love for us, that He would be willing to lay down His life for His friends. Now grace became merited, grace became influential, and now grace required a reflection in your life. Something to happen. The character of God, not just the works of the law, but the fruit of the Spirit manifesting itself inside of you. So folks, for us that have become the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, there's an expectation of the fruit of the Spirit and the characteristics of Christ made manifested in our life. Why? Because He demands a reflection. He, does, he demands the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the kindness, and the self-control. Why? Wow, that's the declaration and the testimony that it's just not a placekeeper anymore, but there's somebody that's keeping us. He's keeping us because of the declaration of faith, because it's been paid for, that I've got a victory through Christ Jesus because it's real, because it has value, and the reflection in my life declares the value that i put upon Him. And so for every struggling, uh, quote-unquote, professing believer, there's an issue. Why? Because they don't value it. Folks, I could go out today and say, hey, listen, uh, uh, Andrew, you don't, you don't have a, a, a car. I know he's got a car. And I, but I could say to him, I could just say, Andrew, matter of fact, I'm just going to use his car as an example. I could say, Andrew, listen, I want you to go to the store for me and, and, and purchase some stuff. And what I want you to do is I want you to get, uh, there's some cinder blocks over here. I want you to go get those cinder blocks and just, you know, just throw them in the back of your pickup for me. You know what he's going to say? Sure, not a problem. Where do you want me to get those from? And he's going to go over to Home Depot or wherever it is, and he's going to go chunk those cinder blocks in there. He's not going to think a thing in the world about it. But if Andrew showed up in a 2017 black Ford pickup, shiny paint and everything else, and I said, hey, brother, go pick me up a truckload of cinder blocks. He's going to say, can I take your trailer? Why is that? Because he don't put that much value in that pickup. That pickup with the, the, with the broken window that half the time he don't cover it up in the rain, he don't put any value in that. As long as it starts and gets him to work or whatever it is, he's okay with that. Why? Because one day he's going to drive that to, to pull apart and get $100 out of it and go get him something else to drive. But if he's writing a check to Ford Motor Credit or whoever it may be every single month for five or $600 for that brand new shiny pickup, he's going to put value on that. Why? Because he sees the importance. He sees what it's worth. Folks, it's the same thing with us. For the people that don't really value their relationship with God, they don't mind throwing cinder blocks on top of it. They don't mind using, uh, uh, using language and doing things and, 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 and having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness and, and walking in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and pride of life. Why? Because they really don't care. It's like in a marriage, you know. Husbands, love your wives as Christ who loved the church and gave himself for it. Listen, if I love my wife, it's going to be a, de a demonstration of that. I want her to know that she laughs at me because we'll be getting groceries and, and she'll be going to get in the truck and I'll hit the lock button real quick. She said, you want to let me open the door for myself? Absolutely not. I never want to diminish for whatever circumstance. Sure, she can get in the truck by herself. Sure, she's a big girl. She can open the door. Sure, she can do those things. But I want to categorically and systematically always demonstrate, not just to her, but to myself, the value that she has in my life. Why? Because God gave her to me to take care of her. Period. Regardless of what that looks like. He said, I speak a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. And if I can't take care of the, her, I'll never be able to take care of my relationship with Jesus. Period. I want to value her. I want to care for her. She Ask her, what, ask her hey, what, what bills do y'all have? She don't know what that is. Why? Because she's the one you're going to have to pay them. 
She needs something. What does her husband say? Honey, whatever you need, I'm going to get that for her. That's the value. People say she's spoiled. Yes, she is. Absolutely. And I would not have it another way. Whatever she has, period, I'm going to lay my life down for her because I value her to that degree. Period. That's the example that I want to set for my sons to value their spouses the exact same way. Period. And so, folks, listen. That grace, that Old Testament grace, was just a guardian. It was a placekeeper talking about, here's how I'm going to live that life. But suddenly Jesus Christ came and he became that way for us where there really was no way. The law was our guardian, chapter 20, verse 24, and it protected us until we could have it. And so something happened, and it was him. So essentially what the law of Moses did, it was to create a set of parameters that were designed to do everything possible to keep people on track towards the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. That was God being a father. It was God being a father. Folks, you know what we do? People think that we're just kind of a little bit, maybe too old-fashioned, or I don't even think it's old-fashioned. They think, man, we're just a little bit too strict. The Word of God tells us, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? You know what that means? I put myself in a situation as some single guy with, with single girls and all these other things. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're David, that when men were, when kings were supposed to go out to war and you found yourself up on top of a house, the David of the Psalms, the David of the man after God's own heart, the David that was killing lions and bears and all this other stuff, the second he found himself out of order, outside those parameters of what God said, what did he do? He was hearkening and having Bathsheba come up, and you saw what happened to created murder and everything else. So for us, you know what, as standard bearers, we say, listen, it's not good for a guy to touch a girl. This, this tribe before you buy, why don't you just go date somebody else's wife or all these other things? Listen, my, my daughters had too much value for some joker to come and say, I want to date your daughter. Period. We didn't raise our daughters up to have a, 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 a litany of boyfriends. We raised them up to be powerful women of God, women that, that were wives, women that were that, that, that Proverbs woman that had that type of character, not for somebody to check them out and, and, and to try and to kick the tires and say, you know what, maybe that would be something for me. And as a result, what happens? Man, we've got some powerhouse daughters that the first kiss that Benjamin got from Kelsey was the day I said, you can kiss your wife, my daughter. The first kiss that Joshua got from Kayla was you may kiss that. People may think that's old-fashioned. Well, that's righteous. Now, these girls got a testimony. they got an empowerment. And they've got something, a standard that they can set for their children as well. Folks, listen, that's what the law did. The law said, listen, I'm going to put some, I'm going to put some guardrails up. I'm going to put some things that are going to keep it in place. He was acting like a father. He was giving rules to his children, in this case, obviously, the law to the Jews, so that they could not easily wander away from his plan and become disqualified from ever seeing it come to pass. From a parental standpoint, you'll see it. God being the father. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. He says, train up a child on the way it should go. And what? When he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, because he's going to know which way to go. You're going to set some parameters of righteousness for your children. That's what he did for the law. He said, I'm going to set some parameters. That way you know exactly where to go. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof shall give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring a mother to shame. Period. People left to themselves will bring God to shame. So the law provided a rod. It provided reproof. It provided training designed to nurture people towards a time when they could see the fulfillment of the promise and become actual partakers of the transformational benefits of faith. That's what the law did. I'm going to put some things in. I'm going to hem you in to such a degree that you're not going to easily find yourself wandering off into some transgression. And so remember Hebrews 6.1. says, stop, so stop letting us uh, go over the basic teachings about Christ again. Let us go instead and become mature in our understanding. And so these Jews were attempting, and I've talked taught on this, they were attempting to kind of go back under the law in Hebrews. Why? Because all this widespread persecution of the, of the, of the, 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 the now the, the saved Jews, the, the ones that had come to belief in the Messiah, they were being persecuted by the Romans, they were being persecuted by the, the Orthodox Jews, the, those still under Judaism. And so they said, listen, maybe we can kind of disfake it until we can make it. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we're going to go back. He's like, listen, you're going to stop... You've got to stop going to the basic teachings. All those things that you were under, those things just kept you hemmed in until he come. You've got to become mature in your understanding. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them through it all. Your maturity is going to produce afflictions in your life. Folks, remember, 
Because Adam believed God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness, right? And as a result, what did he do? He suffered, he endured many afflictions in his life in anticipation of the promises. He was made righteous because he believed. But Abraham went through a lot of trials and tribulations. Some of those things he brought upon himself with, with, with like Hagar. You saw the things that he did or, or lying about who his wife was. He went through many afflictions even though he believed God. And so the law literally was kind of like bumper pads. You ever went bowling and they dropped the bumper pads down for the kids? Or, or for me because I'm a horrible bowler. You know what I'm saying? And so they're like in a bowling alley. What they do is they keep the ball out of the gutter until you learn how to properly throw it down the lane. But they don't guarantee a strike, right? All they do is allow you to knock down a few pins. You can get some down until you finally learn how to bowl. Folks, that's what the law was for. It was the bumper pads that God gave through the Jews to just kind of keep them in that lane. It didn't make them righteous. It didn't give all, all the strikes. Sometimes they only got one pin down at a time. Every once in a while they got it right down the middle and they did good. We see that through all the, the testimonies of the patriarchs. We see those things. But folks, the law was strictly meant to kind of keep us between the guardrails, so to speak. And so verse 25, but it says, But now that way of faith has come, and so we no longer need the law as our guardian. In other words, it's time for our spiritual training wheels to come off and learn how to ride like a big boy. And so here's, here's what I love. When I look at those bumper pads, that type of uh, illustration, I think about the way of faith, that even when the bumpers were still there in the bowling alley, think about Hebrews chapter 11. You know this. You can, you can turn there. Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the what? The substance of things hoped for. Faith is the hypostasis. Faith is the reality of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders retain, obtained a good report. And look what it begins to say. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, uh, uh, being dead, yet spoke. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God translated him for before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Don't you love verse 5? But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Him is the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of those things uh, as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark uh, to the saving of his house, by which the condemned world, and became heir of the righteousness, wisdom by faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place that he would receive an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing where he was even going to go. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised so spiritual understanding and revelation. Where did it come by? It came by faith. Worship as a as is demonstrated through Abel. It came by faith. Holiness and victory over sin as seen in Enoch was by faith. Walking righteous and overcoming judgment as seen by Noah was by faith. Obeying God in times of uncertainty as seen by Abraham was by faith. Trusting God for the impossible as seen by Sarah. Where did that come from? By faith. All of those things were accomplished. Tremendous miracles were happened by faith when the bumpers were still down. Before we really ever knew how to get the bowling ball down and hit the middle of the pins. But how much more should our expectation be that that promise is being fulfilled? All of they saw was a far off, never having obtained the promise. Folks, i got news for you. I've obtained the promise. I've obtained it. I'm not waiting for a better deal. I'm not wait, waiting for plan B. I'm not saying, you know what? I, I know he said it was finished upon the cross of Calvary, but you know what? I'm just going to walk in a struggle. I'm not going to walk in victory. I'm not going to believe God that I can see any holiness in my life. I'm not going to believe that I can have victory over sin until maybe maybe when he splits the eastern skies or maybe in the great by and by or, or, or when I get to go to heaven. Folks, listen, he's done everything that he's promised to do already. That's where the promises of God are. For us. And now that way of the faith has come. He said we no longer need the law as our guardian. But folks think about it. Even when the law was enforced. When the bumpers were down. 
Nothing that they accomplished was ever attributed to their ability to keep the law. Did you notice that? In this great chapter on faith, all of these Jewish people, none of it said that Enoch was translated because he obeyed the law. That Sarah obtained a miracle because she obtained the law. That, that, that Noah was able to build the ark because he obeyed the law. So how are we going to think that we can get a strike if we drop the bumper pads back down and fall into some legalistic system? Once again, is what he was telling them. 1 John 8, 4, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Do you have faith that overcomes the world? Well, if you don't have overcoming faith, you don't have His faith. Because this is the faith that overcomes. What faith? The faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Folks, somewhere along the line in Christianity, in religion, whatever you want to term it, determine it just like it happened there in Galatia where Paul the Apostle had to show up on the scene of this church that he, he birthed through, through many tears and many years. Something's happened in the modern church. What we've done is we've diminished the, the, the blood of Jesus. We've diminished the promises of God. And we've diluted that, pastel, that, that, that crimson blood down to this pastel peak. And we've made it more palatable. But it just doesn't get the job done anymore. It just doesn't transform people's lives. Folks, listen. The victory I want is one that comes by faith. The faith that I want is a faith that produces victory in my life. For now, he says in verse 26 of our text tonight, he says, you are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because we're all born as God's children. We're all God's children. He said, no, you're the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, we think to ourselves, listen, everybody's a child of God. Well, God only created two people, period. When he talks about all things were created by him and for him and through him, folks, he's talking about from the sense of the beginning. He's the one that set everything in motion. Listen, I, I can go out and build a house, and I'm going to say, well, God created that house. No, he might have provided the tools to do that, but listen, that's the product of that. God only created two people. They were called Adam and Eve. Every one of every, the rest of us are the product of this biological thing called procreation. Mama and Daddy came together. And they had a union, and they produced a child. That's why we look like Mama and Daddy, but Adam and Eve were created in the reflection and the similitude of God. They were created in His image. But sin entered in. It brought a third party into the equation that wasn't God and everything after that. It says Seth was created in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. Read your Bible. And so we become children of God by faith, in Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Not because we were baptized as children by a priest or a minister or any of those things. First John 1 John 1.12, you know it. But to all who believed on him and accepted him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. We'll go back and read that again. But to all who believed on him and accepted him, to those, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Do you notice it said those that believed? Folks, that's faith. And accepted. That word accepted means I've laid hold on something. So it's not just a one thing. I just don't do one part of the equation. How do I become a child of God? I believe Him by faith. Then I lay hold and I accept it. I do what God told me to do. Show me your faith without works. And I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. Saying I believe but never walking those things out is dead. If I say that I love him, but I do not keep his commandments, I am dead. I am a liar. The wage of sin is death. Do you not know that no liar will inherit God's kingdom or everlasting life? And so I become a child of God, not just by believing, but by believing and laying hold of what that belief needs to reproduce in my life as a believer. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who just calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who actually do the will of my Father who is in heaven. I've got to believe and I've got to lay hold. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which worketh in you both to will, believe, and to do, lay hold of His good pleasure. Folks, when the bumpers come off, when the training wheels are removed from the bicycle, it's not just that I desire to do it, but I'm doing it. Why? Because now I know what it is for greater is he that's in me to be greater than he that's in the world. Or the influence of worldliness. 
Verse 27. We're getting close to finishing. Let me say amen. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ by putting on new clothes. You remember back in Galatians 2.20, right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's no longer Christ. I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's that faith that produces the characteristics of Christ in my life. And you know Romans chapter 6. And I'm just going to read some of that to you. Romans 6 verse 1. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? <laughs> of course not, he said. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that we were, were joined in Christ through baptism? We were joined him unto his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power of the Father, we now may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin would lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's no longer the declaration that he's made over us. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, uh, we now also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves partially to God. Is that what it says? Give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now, not later, not in the great by and by, not when you got a transformed body, but now you have a new life, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right, for the glory of God, because sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law, or just want to learn how to bowl, but instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. Not the freedom to sin, but the freedom of God's grace, the freedom to walk under that merited influence that's going to reflect righteousness in your life. That's the shouting time of this message if you just was wondering. Verse 28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, that's the benefit. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Bump, 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 bump. You didn't think it was going to happen, did you, Lord, heirs, Mendez? Father, we thank you tonight, Lord God, that we've got a promise that's real, Lord God. And you're not slack concerning your promises, Lord God, as some men count slackness, but you're so long-suffering. Father, you suffered, Lord God, through all of those that failed and, and, and were crushed, Lord God, in the way of the law. You're long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, Lord God. That moral compunction to think differently, Lord God, which was only made available, Lord God, through us receiving the mind of Christ. Lord God, let that word rest heavy on us, Lord God. Let us resound in us, Lord God. Let us go deeper and be challenged, Lord God, in our walk with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.